Algernon Blackwood, an appreciation by Grace Isabel Colbron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ben Tucker. In these days when popularity for an author means that his books are read some, but are talked about a great deal more, and that he himself is talked about more than his books, it comes with a shock of pleasing surprise to discover a writer who has read more than he has discussed. This has been Algernon Blackwood's fate thus far. The majority of his books have gone into several editions in England and in this country, and yet they are little talked about, and the man himself even less. He has escaped requests for his opinion on all the multifarious subjects, from esoteric Buddhism to the width of women's skirts, which our popular authors are expected to elucidate in the daily and weekly journals, a deadly result of wide advertising. Algernon Blackwood has been little advertised, except by readers who have come under the spell of his unique literary personality. It is scarcely ten years since the first book over the name of Algernon Blackwood appeared in England, and already there are twelve volumes of remarkable stories bearing his name. Stories that haunt one after reading. Tales that are heady as new wine. His imagination and insight are as rare as his choice of subjects is unusual. But there is no pose about this choice. We feel the man could not express himself in any other way. His rather unique life experience, if one may judge from the few biographical facts he is willing to give, has kept him singularly free from the trammels of the obvious. From a childhood and youth spent in a Moravian school in the Black Forest, he went to the Canadian wilds, and to the life of the man who has only his own exertions upon which to depend. This in spite of titled ancestry which would seem to chain him to conventional habits. Every sort of work came his way. Even newspaper work in New York until he returned to Europe and began to express in literary form some of the rich experiences that had piled in upon a brain of rare sensitiveness. Having apparently entirely escaped the usual sort of life that should have fallen to his lot, there was little to interpose between the eyes of his mind and the core of things. The physical eye became the immediate receiver of impressions that registered themselves on a brain which did not have to forget prejudices and the superimposed opinions of others. The result is one of the most remarkable literary personalities of the present day, a personality too powerful to be imbibed in large doses even by the most hardened reader. To criticize this personality calmly by the canons of accredited literary criticism is a task that taxes self-control. One's pen limps lamely after his ten-league strides, and in a moment of exhaustion one acknowledges that to do Algernon Blackwood justice, one should be Algernon Blackwood himself. At first it seems that it is a subject which enthralls, then comes appreciation of rare insight, and finally a realization of remarkable stylistic power, rich and exuberant, a rush of words like a mountain torrent, suiting sound to sense poignantly, hypnotizing, like some eastern drug. The reader's progress to understanding follows the writer's progress of achievement. In his earlier books, the subject sometimes taxes his power of expression. But with growing practice, the gift of interpretation in words grows and grows, until his tendency to linger over the soul conflict and hurry with a sentence past actual happenings is handled with such mastery 
that it gives the chosen theme its greatest charm. There are few others who dare to do this. No one else comes to mind just now who ventures it in such degree, unless it be that wonderful Danish prose stylist J.P. Jacobson, who dislikes actualities and lingers lovingly over realities as Blackwood does. Algernon Blackwood's chosen theme is the unknown, the great realm that lies beyond the world of the known and the obvious. He finds it in many places, in the forest depths of pathless Canadian wilds, in Egyptian desert sands, in smiling mountain valleys, and even in London streets and offices. It comes to the adult with a tinge of horror, because the adult dislikes and fears all that will not fall in line with his notions of what the world should be like. It comes to the child as something exquisitely sweet, in dreams of stardust caverns, of beautiful, beneficent beings that understand one's play. And it comes to the cat. But then the cat is half in that world always, and often has to come back from it when we would call her attention to our humble human selves. For Algernon Blackwood is one of those rare adults who can so sink his own consciousness of self that he can find his way into the psychology of the little child and the cat. They have taken him into the secret garden, where they really live, and he has interpreted it for us in tales of poignant sweetness. The child and the cat are the supreme nonconformists of a world which spends its energies trying to conform to some set pattern changing with the decades. They simply don't try. That's why so few adults understand them. In A Prisoner in Fairyland, Jimbo, some of the stories in Pan's Garden, New York, the Macmillan Company, and The Education of Uncle Paul, New York, Henry Holton Company, Blackwood has given us lyrics of childhood that will last. Children themselves may not understand them until they grow up, and then only if they are the sort of children that never grow up. But the adult who knows will find great store of riches, and the lover of cats will find much delight in these books. But when the adult mind finds itself approaching or crossing the borderland that parts the known from the unknown, sorrow or horror even take the place of joy. And in the expression of this creeping horror that chills the heart when the human comes face to face with what is not human, Algernon Blackwood excels. It is not done sensationally. It seems to come from the man's inmost heart as an expression of personal beliefs and experiences, and his stories have little dealing with organized or accredited spiritualism. He has only scorn for such futile mental debauches. He has no interest in ghosts that are ticketed and classified, and have even become fashionable. He lays no claim to scientific research, but he can enthrall the reader until the sweep of unseen or dimly glimpsed presences crowd thick upon us in the silent room, and we long to get back in sheer shrinking fear into the sweet, wholesome business of today. Every degree of emotion felt by the mind and heart under stress of such experience figures in the many stories that deal with this subject. For sheer, naked, concentrated horror, unexplained and unexplainable, such tales as The Wendigo, Lost Valley, New York, Vaughn and Gum, and The Willows, The Listener, New York, Vaughn and Gum, may be said to lead among the stories of the supernatural, but many others are a gorgeous, haunting riot of imagination and creepiness, mingling terror and a sense of splendid free life. 
real and unreal in bewildering confusion. The regeneration of Lord Ernie and the stupendous descent into Egypt in the book Incredible Adventures, New York, the Macmillan Company, Ancient Sorceries, Secret Worship, and the Camp of the Dog and John's Silence, New York, Vaughn and Gom, are some of the most noteworthy among these, although many others have power to hold and thrill unendurably. The Centaur, Macmillan Company, has sustained power of imaginative writing equal to the best Blackwood has produced. Arnold Bachlin, the Swiss painter, had such an imagination. And many a sentence in the best of the Blackwood stories takes the form of a Bachlin picture to the inner vision. One wishes Bachlin were still among us to illustrate these conceptions of a kindred spirit that can see the teeming life just beyond the border of what human vision, hampered by human prejudices, considers fitting limit for the soul's sight. And yet through all these tales of the power of what lies beyond to act upon human lives, there is a note of splendid courage in the appeal to the mind of man to understand that he may control, by controlling himself, all these powers, and take their strength into himself to form it over for good. It is this note, and the sincerity of the style which free the tales entirely from any reproach of desired sensationalism, and which also relieve the strain of horror that might otherwise prove too strong to be wholesome. Algernon Blackwood stands in a class by himself. What effect it will have on his work, if he should ever become popular and Sunday supplemented, cannot now be foretold. But somehow, there is that about his writing which arouses the hope that the good in it may survive even such a fate. End of Algernon Blackwood, An Appreciation, by Grace Isabel Colbron.